3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, the true owners, caretakers, and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respects to elders past, present, of the Kulin Nation, and recognizes their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis, and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. And welcome to Monday Breakfast. It's the 18th of March, 2019. And uh, with me in the studio is Julie. Good morning. And I'm Judith. And it's great to be with you this morning for Monday Breakfast. And big thanks to Beyond Zero. Such great work they do always. Always a great show. And also this um, Monday I'd like to acknowledge... Jackson and James, who have been running and, um, the Monday Breakfast Show for two years and producing fabulous radical radio. So we're going to miss them, but you know what, Julie? I what? think we might try and get them back on <laughs> now and then, but don't, don't tell anyone. No, we're no, not telling you, anyone. You, you, no, I know you'll no, be no. very quiet about all that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yes, and they've done a great job and over the two years, and I think we're going to hear from them again. I think they have plans maybe to have another show, mm. but at a, a time that's more suited to a person who has young children and another person who is back to study. That right. was Jackson. Yeah. So um, yeah, let's uh, let's look for their voices a, a bit more. Now today, um, the so- well after um, after eight, we're going to be hearing from um, Joshua Ruse who is an expert in, um, in kind of terrorist activities and particularly uh, follows and does research on right-wing groups. And he'll be telling us about um, his understanding of what's happened in New Zealand over the weekend, or well, on Friday, actually, and, um, yeah, how the government should progress with that and what we ourselves can do. And I know we're all feeling, I know, I know, I'll just speak for my, I know I'm still feeling in a state of shock over what's happened in my sense of talking to people, listening to what's on the radio and television. People in Australia are, are quite distressed mm. about those events. Is that yeah. your sense, Julie? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so that's coming up after eight, and after eight we're also going to be speaking, uh, speaking about um, the appointment of Ida Butrose as chair of the ABC. Interesting. Yeah, so that's going to be good. And um, yeah, and other we'll be hearing lots of great music because I I went off to Adelaide to to go to WOMAD uh, a couple of weekends ago, and I think some other people from 3CR were there, and a lot of community radio folk get along. So we'll be hearing some of that music as well. But to, to start us gently this morning. Um, we're going to hear from Archie Roach and with um, the song Let Love Rule. That was um, the amazing Archie Roach with Let Love Rule. And uh, the whole album was based on the need for for more love in the world, and I felt it was an appropriate um, song to be playing this morning. Kevin Hines Grow delivers gardening and nature-based programs to people of all ages and all abilities. 
Our programs provide great opportunities for positive personal development and well-being. The Kevin Hines Grow Autumn Fair and Open Day is on Saturday the 30th of March, 9am to 3pm at 39 Weatherby Road, Doncaster. Come along and stock up on plants at our community nursery or learn more about our programs. See you there. Kevin Hines Grow is a 3CR supporter. If you share the growing concern about racism, fascism and the move to the extreme right, come along to our forum on a Bill of Rights for Australia on Sunday the 17th of March at the Unitarian Church, 110 Gray Street, East Melbourne, commencing at 11am. Speakers include Professor Gillian Triggs, Professor Rob Watts, Julian Burnside QC and the Human Rights Law Centre. RSVP to admin at melbourneunitarian.org.au Our democratic rights are under threat. If you care, be there. The Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church is a 3CR supporter. at alternative news and I, I think for this morning we are looking at news <laughs> just generally because I think almost every paper is leading with the headline of the story from New Zealand and um, I'm just looking at, at the age right now and uh, the, the front page has got the faces of innocence as the title and the faces of the people who have died in that, that horrific attack. And I think the count is now up, up to 50. Interestingly, on the inside, on that second page, we see that uh, Tarrant's relatives have apologized to victims. Um, so it must be very upsetting for them as well. And uh, I guess a more, uh, you know, the, the also a note that the love from community, from the community, is helping us heal. And uh, I, I don't know, you know, how people were placed yesterday, but uh, I went along to the mosque in Preston. In fact, before I went, I um, went to buy flowers to take. And there were all these people at the shop. There's like a lineup. And I thought, oh, this is really interesting. And I asked, is this Mother's Day? <laughs> it's not Mother's Day. I don't think Mother's Day later. And um, when I got to the mosque, lots and lots of people were there bringing flowers. And uh, I mean, I'm not sure why everyone was buying flowers at my shop, but, but I wondered if, in fact, they were all there in the same way I was. So love from the community and lots of really positive messages. And uh, it's great to hear people from that community, from the Muslim community, saying it's helping us heal. And I think it's helping all of us heal. 
So, um, and the religions are uniting for peace, and this is also in the age. So, Julie, you have some other papers there. What are you seeing? Yeah, I've got the Australian here in front of me, Judith, and again, it's leading with that story. Um, so, the headline is, Spy Boss Joins Terror Fight, Ministers to be Briefed on Security Response as a New Zealand Death Toll Hits 50. And um, Greg Sheridan saying here, there's an urgent need now to bring the internet under the rule of law. Um, Janet Albrechtson was talking about um, how people are exploit. Some people are exploiting this for um, for narrow-minded illiberal agendas. Uh, yes, well, knowing, <laughs> knowing that that's right, or yeah. I, I expect I have an idea <laughs> what she's got in mind. So that's uh, and what else? Do you, what other papers do you have? Uh, I've got the Financial Review, and that's just leading with a with a surprise merger no one saw coming to Billions' brand new season, and the Herald Sun. The Herald Sun's actually leading with the um, with the Melbourne um, Grand Prix uh, about Daniel Ricardo, Ricardo's okay. dream. Yeah, yeah, he he lost he lost to uh, Valtteri Bottas. Well, that is the Herald Sun. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Julie, for, okay. for, check, for checking those out. We do get the papers uh, early on Monday morning here. Certainly listening to the news, too, the ABC was also covering this very extensively, speaking to people both from New Zealand and, and commentators. And as I said, we will hear from people later. Um, what, what's not here, actually, or I haven't found much on on the weekend is a student strike. And, uh, you know, that was, um, I mean, of course, I'm not saying that this doesn't deserve the attention. It does, absolutely, and it's horrific. I think it's uh, the, the fact that the students' protest on climate and their strike has kind of been lost in this. And thinking about, you know, I, I was at the strike, and I was in Adelaide on the weekend and uh, on Friday, and I was at the strike there. And then it was just such a joyous moment. I mean, the energy of the students and uh, hearing with the different people speaking about what the students were doing and with great enthusiasm. I went to lunch. I was having lunch with a person who's actually from New Zealand. And in the middle of that lunch, the news uh. came through. And so we started our lunch feeling very excited about what we just participated in. And we ended our lunch feeling, oh, no, this is so terrible. Mm. Yeah. So t this morning we will be covering the student strike. And uh, I was in Adelaide and um, heard some, uh, went around and, you know, with my mic around Victoria Square and Parliament House and spoke to a number of people about, you know, why they were out, including the students. I think that it's um, almost become a moral imperative for us to stand up for what we believe to be right. We need to take action to fight for our planet and, and to do that together. I think it's something that is directly going to impact us and nothing that politicians or our government are taking seriously because ultimately by the time the big changes come, they're probably not going to be here. So I think we're just sick of people making decisions for us and it not even impacting them. Tori said it really well, but as someone who hopefully wants to, you know, looking into the future, I've got nieces and nephews and maybe one day kids, you want it to be a safe and beautiful place for them to live, not looking that way at the moment. So I think it's really important to fight, not just for ourselves, but for the people to come. Thank you all for coming. Well, we decided to come and join the strike because we want our future to be a sustainable one and, you know, healthy for our kids and our grandkids. And we just 
don't want to lose the planet because it's the only one we've got. I think it's really important for everyone to get together and actually make a change because there's not much time left to fix what we've done. Like, this is the, like we're only really deciding to do something about it now and there's just so much, there's, there's only an amount of time left before it's too late. Well, you know, this is really the only chance we have and if we don't take it now, then it's going to be too late and people are going to regret having not stepped in when they could have. And I think it's really important that we all get together and show just how important this is, saving our planet and what the, we have left with the time we have with it. We're basically doing the adults' job because they're not doing their job properly and we don't have much of a say in anything, but I think by all of us getting together, we can make a difference if we get as many people as we can. We're trying to get to a party and we don't want to rock up late. Thank you. Yeah, what brings you up today? Well, I feel strongly about climate change. I think there should be action taken. Like in the past, I, I wasn't uh, so keen to uh, engage with this sort of debate, but um, being in year 12 in chemistry, I've learned a lot more about the effects of it and I've understand it a lot more and the contributing factors, and so that's sort of pushed me to be out here. Um, I've come out to protest with all the other students striking for climate and to show the government that action needs to be taken now, not in 10 years, not in 20 years, but right now. Because instead of going to school today, we came out to try and get people not to use, not to do climate change. And, and we started yeah. chanting, we want change, we want change, we want change. And on my cardboard I wrote, there is more to life than polluting, guys. And he wrote, stop burning fossil fuel. I came because these are important issues and they go straight to my heart and I wanted to physically be present watching the next generation actually putting their foot down and saying no we don't want this done to our earth it's just wonderful but to be a part of that and of that energy and it just gives me hope for the future yeah it just gives me hope thank you would you like to say something uh, yes i'm here to support the the next generation too it's uh, it's teary to watch them yelling and you say good on them yeah yeah i'm just here to support the children i i think they're they're doing what we should be doing and what everybody should be doing and good on them. Um, I just wanted to come out and support the students actually and stand by them while they're um, protesting against climate change. Don't you have um, some teaching responsibilities? I do. Um, I brought some of my students with me. We're actually studying advocacy and leadership so I thought this was the best place for them today. Just the general ridiculousness of where our politics and decisions are going. Our politicians are just going the opposite way. I mean they're bringing out new oil, they want to do that in a place where we've got so much wildlife, so much industry that is dependent on it. They want to so you're talking about the Great Australian Bite now? Yes, yeah. Drilling in the Great Australian Bite, um, Equinor wants to come and do that. And it's just, there is so much risk inherent in that for so many people here. And any benefit that's going to come from that, which is actually quite small, is going to go offshore anyway, let alone the fact that it's going to bring up new fossil fuels, which is where we want to be moving away from. They have as much of a stake, more of a stake in the future than I do at age 49. So to see them standing up for the truth is really important. Um, I'm out today because I'm super passionate about our environment. As a young person, I think it's incredibly important for us to be out here showing our faces. My brothers and sisters are all still in school and they're striking in the Northern Territory as well in, in South Australia. So it's in, super important for me to be here as an older mentor and nurture them as well as everyone else who's come out today. What do we want it now? What do we want? Climate action. What do we want it now?
was Aussie Visa with Think About the People. And that was a 1970s track that came out of England. I remember that one. Do you remember <laughs> it, Julie? Better. What a great groove. Yeah, yeah fantastic. Yeah, fabulous. And uh, now we're going to, wait, so we just heard the Vox Pops, you just heard we're obviously from Adelaide. There, That's why we were very, heard all the concerns about the great Australian bite and the possible drilling there mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, uh, there were uh, other speakers who talked about uh, rural issues. Uh, and um, yeah, it was very inspiring. We'll hear a bit more from them later. But now I want to go to Melbourne because this absolutely was a national strike and an international one, in fact. So let's hear a bit from Melbourne. Marches now well and truly getting back to where it started at the old Treasury building, but it still snakes back. I'm here at the front of the Parliament House. It still goes all the way down Burke Street as well and turning the corner. It's a huge march going all the way down to Russell Street. So we're four whole city blocks. Absolutely fantastic. We've got some people here as well. What's your name? Layla. And why are you here today? Um, to help support climate action. And what do you think the government should do? Um, to actually do it. Hello, what's your name? Freya. And Freya, how old are you and why are you here? I'm 11 and I'm here to protest against climate change. Is this the first time that you've been on strike? Yes. Will you keep coming back until the government takes action on climate change? Yes. And what is it that you want Scott Morrison and all the other politicians up in Canberra to do? To stop Adani.
Why are you guys out marching today? Because uh, we just like really want to see the government take some action and just kind of like get off their butts and actually listen to us instead of just sitting around and saying like, oh no, like you're young and stupid, like you don't know anything. Uh, it'd be really nice to have them actually listen because we are like the future generations. Like in 20 years' time, like we're going to be the ones in charge, and like they're not going to be they're not going to be around to clean up the mess that they've made. Like we are, we're going to have to clean up their mess. There's a lot of people here today, and a lot of people here seem really angry. Are you angry about what's going on? Um, yeah, definitely, because, like, I've, the government just, they don't, like, they're not listening, and it's really angering because, like, they know what the problem is, and they have the power to, fish, to fix the problem, but they're just not doing anything about it. So, like, yeah, it is, it makes me really, really angry. And what do you want the government to do? Just like, I guess, obviously stopping Adani would be the first thing to do. Just, like, listening to us, as I said, is, like, really important. Because, as I said, like, we're the ones that are going to be left to clean up their mess. It's not going to be, like, they're not going to still be around when we're in the government. Like, we are going to be the future of the government. So, like, yeah. Right on. Thanks very much. And that was Matt Conkle from Stick Together here on Wednesday on 3CR at 8.30. So you can probably hear a lot more because I know he was there and he did lots of recording. So, uh, yeah, do check that out Wednesday morning, 8.30. Now we're just going to head back to Adelaide from uh, one of the speeches from the, the climate strike, a student strike on climate. We have been seeing extreme weather events occurring with unprecedented frequency and severity. Catastrophic bushfires have raged across Tassie, threatening people's safety and their homes. Floods and severe cyclones have left entire communities devastated, and prolonged droughts have threatened the livelihood of so many families in farming towns. We know that fossil fuels, especially coal, are the number one cause of this crisis. Yet our politicians are letting coal billionaires like Adani push ahead with plans to open the largest untapped coal reserve on the planet, the Gurley Basin. No! A federal election is coming up, but our politicians are not listening to us. As school students, we are sick of our futures being turned into political footballs. As a and it leaves us absolutely shook when we hear and see about the climate impacts that are already devastating communities around the world. We are sick of our planet being sold off for profit. The majority of Australians want urgent action on climate change. But we are not seeing that reflected in the policies and positions that the people in power are putting forward. As school students, we cannot vote. And that's why we're striking today. To make it The scientists tell us that we have just over a decade to turn this crisis around. By that time, all, all of the world's almost 2 billion children will still have their entire lives ahead of us. 
We know that climate change is the biggest issue that we face, that our generation faces. So together, we need to make sure that this federal election and every election here on in, climate change is the key issue and that our politicians act accordingly. This is not about talking anymore. This is about action. of this debate, entrusting adults with our future, just as we've been told to do from childhood. And that is why the feeling of betrayal, as our governments blatantly prioritise profit over our very lives, is felt as strongly and widely as it is. This is about recognising that we are in a crisis and doing everything that we can to stop it. We can stand here in Adelaide in our relative position of power and privilege and forget that we are in a crisis. But the composition of our atmosphere and our planet is literally changing before our very eyes. People are hurting. Communities across the world are struggling. Our right to a livable climate is slowly being chipped away before us. And this, this is not okay. It is not okay for the people in power to say that they care and that they have a plan to tackle climate change if that plan doesn't fundamentally and revolutionarily change and deal with the cause of the climate crisis, and that is the, the mining and burning of fossil fuels, especially coal. So we have a message for our politicians and for everyone in position of power and influence. If you truly care about us and the two billion children on this planet, you have to start acting now. We don't hope, we need you to do everything you can to one, stop Adani's coal mine.
Hallelujah. Our movement is global. Students in 112 countries around the world. Well, it was amazing. And Julia, I don't know how you connected with this, but I, I think you were out at um, a, a, a seminar or a talk, a Feminism in That's the Pub. That's right, Feminism in the Pub. That was um, last Thursday at the Clyde Hotel here in Melbourne. And there was the leader um, of the student strike there. She was speaking. So that was organised by um, the women's unions. And she was fantastic. So yeah. it was a great line-up there. That will be, we'll speak about that on Saturday with Annie as yes. well in That's on Solidarity Breakfast. That's right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Got some good interviews there. Yeah. I mean, I was just blown away by the research the students had done, oh, wow. how well informed they were, as you could hear um, from, that, from that piece just now. And um, interestingly, one of the, the speakers, one of the young men who spoke, I think it was in year nine uh, in Adelaide, and I don't remember the school, but anyway, he said, you know, we're sacrificing the most valuable thing. Yeah. We're, and I thought he was going to say our climate. Data. He said, we're sacrificing our education to be out here today. Yeah. And, I mean, when you think of him saying that, and then some of the um, government people said, oh, they should be in school, <laughs> they shouldn't be out. Um, what did you think about Did you hear some of that commentary? Uh, uh, yeah, a little bit. But it's, it's just amazing, really, isn't it? I mean, you know, they should be in school learning what? Learning about what? Learning <laughs> about the world that's not going to be there in 20 years. So well, well, I mean, that, that was one. I mean, one of the most interesting. And I took a photo, but uh, I'm, I, I've got some photos to put up on our website for, for Monday breakfast. And one of them uh, was a baby in a carriage. There was more than one, but the one I saw with, with you know, I, I don't have time <laughs> to wait. And the mum, I said, may I take the photo? And she said, you take it. And I said, what about if I put it? I won't because I feel uncomfortable putting a baby's yeah. picture up. But she said, I said, what if I put it up online? And she said, for this, yes, it's okay. <laughs> but I'm still, I still don't feel quite comfortable doing it. But, um, you know, so that was, there were, I guess the other thing that was really striking was people from all walks of life who were there, you know, yeah. of all ages. And, of course, the students invited people. You know, they said, uh, we'd like you to come. I mean, yeah. look, one, one of the first things that I sort of saw when I came over to um, Australia from England that was the, how beautiful the countryside was. It's absolutely gorgeous. So I came over to Coffs Harbour and I saw um, turtles swimming in the bay. It was amazing. And coming from London, you're thinking, don't, please don't ruin this beautiful country that you have. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yes, indeed, it is. It is a very beautiful country, and I guess you didn't stumble into some of the fracking places, that no. some of that sort of stuff that's been going on. Oh, well, interestingly, there was fracking that was um, going on in Alice Springs, and one of my friends was talking to some of the Aboriginal leaders there and saying, look, this is the information that we've got about it. Please, please don't, don't go down this route. Yeah. So this is the information that your fr was your friend also from the UK? Uh, no, she was a she was an Aussie. So she was an Aussie, yeah. yeah but so she was. Uh, she worked in the health service and she um, she researched on it quite a bit and she she showed all the information about. Um, yeah. the, the thing that really that strikes me quite often and and we've talked about it uh, on 3CR a number of times on breakfast shows is 
the fact that people don't often go out to the bush or out to see actually what's going on, to experience it firsthand. And a number of the students actually commented on this, too, and particularly the young woman who spoke from a rural perspective. She said, it's all fine. You know, your electricity comes in. You can go out. You can get all those things out, out where we are. You know, we struggle. We struggle to get the Internet. We struggle to get clean That's water. True. Yeah. yeah. And I guess the water, also water crisis, you know, the the um, the Darling system, there's been... My uh, Darling, yeah. And there's been, there was a really good report in the, um, uh, the, the Saturday paper last week about what's been happening, and particularly around Will Kenya, and the fact that there's not even any water there. And in that report, they spoke to Aboriginal elders about you know, what it used to be like and, and what's happening now. So the whole climate issue you know, takes m- many forms around Australia. And mm. um, yeah, the students m- have brought attention to many aspects of it. What other things did they talk about on the night you at, at Feminism in the Pub? Oh, it's basically around... Um, at, uh, a women's strike day, so the day of action for, for women. Uh, so we had speakers from the ACLU. She was brilliant. And there was a, a farm workers union um, speaker as well. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about the exploitation, sexual exploitation of some of the um, farm workers that come over from Vietnam oh, and yes. South, South Asia. Yeah. 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 And did you, you said you, I think you said you met the person who was leading the climate change initiative or the students initiative? Well, I was in the, I was in the audience listening. Yeah, but yeah. she was fantastic. She was a very poised young lady. And I think, um, yeah, she's, she's going to be a good leader in years to come. Yeah, and and of course, is the point that a lot of the students made is we are the leaders for yeah, the future. Yeah. Although you know, uh, the other point that was made was that people were also referred to the UN report, saying you know we've got about 12 years to turn this around. Oh, wow. And one person said, you know, in 12 years, I'm going to be in my 20s. Um, you know, what's my world going to be? This is, we're not talking, you know, far into the future no. here at all. These are things that uh, the young people who marched and all of us. Yeah. are going to experience much, we're, well we are experiencing now you know it's mm. it's it's here now it's but, here now yeah i don't understand judith i mean you've got all the solar energy here you've got the, why why aren't we using it well i why? think <laughs> yeah i think one of the it's the political will it's the political yeah. will and the influence of big business the influence of big coal and that seems to be what's driving it and uh, I think you know just coming back to uh, what one of the people said during the box pops you know about uh, drilling in the great Australian bite Mm. I mean here we have an area of Australia the southern you know ocean where there's unique marine life Mm. there's um you know, a, a ground nursing ground for whales they bring in to look at the, their little ones to come in to give birth, to care for them before going back out. You know, obviously dolphins, seals, some endangered parrots. There's like yeah. that whole area. And, uh, and interestingly enough, um, there's been a study funded by BP who was going to drill in the bike uh-huh. and then pulled out, but they meantime funded this study with University of Adelaide and, and other groups which found 400 new kinds of species in the, in oh, the deep wow. ocean and uh, said, you know, uh, I mean, it was hugely ironic because they were saying, look what good work we're doing as oil companies. We're doing this research <laughs> to find out, you know, what's there. But, of course, the corollary of that is 
to find we'll know what we've lost yeah. if something goes badly wrong. So that whole um, campaign to save the bite is big. But you know, a, a, a lot of people don't know about outside South Australia. Certainly, the South Australian groups have been very active. So it, the whole area of mining is something that we really have to keep our eye on mm. here on, on both Monday breakfast and and three CRs doing that, of course. Yeah, with shows yeah. like Beyond Zero, which is, I believe, it's a national show. Yeah, it goes national. So it's good. Uh, I mean, that's I, just just a spruik community radio for <laughs> just for a minute. <laughs> it's one of the good things that uh, one of the great things that we do. But uh, look, here's a little song. It's a uh, Rye Cooter. I think this song came out not too long after the global financial crisis. Um, we've played it a few times on Wednesday breakfast. My kind of alma mater, you know. <laughs> anyway, so let's hear it. Uh, no banker left behind. <laughs> They went one day They was going to call on the president In a quiet and a sociable way And the afternoon was sunny And the weather, it was fine They counted out our money And no banker was left behind
Braver College and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio on 8.55am. Marxism 2019 is Australia's biggest socialist conference, taking place this Easter long weekend from April the 18th to the 21st in Melbourne. Marxism 2019 features international and local guest speakers, including award-winning author and activist Baruz Buchani. Join over 1,000 activists for crucial discussions on how to resist the rise of the right and rebuild the left. With more than 100 sessions, tickets start at just $35 and are available at marxismconference.org. A 3CR supporter. Join me, Sally Goldner, the presenter of Out of the Pan, for a live broadcast on an international trans day of visibility at Hares and Hyenas on 31st of March 2019, organised by Transgender Victoria with 3CR. With co-host Mama Alto, we'll be moderating a live panel discussion about issues, experiences and intersections between and about trans people of colour. Get your tickets online at tdov2019.eventbrite.com.au That's tdov2019.eventbrite.com.au Or listen live to the discussion right here on 855am on digital and streaming online. The three of us reckon 3CR is the best. And that was the amazing Gil Scott Heron with The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And certainly last Friday, The Revolution was right out there on the streets and lots of people uh, participating. And uh, the person that uh, spoke, um, I don't know, Julie, you were asking me, um, who was the person who spoke from Adelaide, and it was Doha Khan. And she's a 17-year-old student at Glenunga High School. So, yeah, she was the leader of the the student strike in Adelaide, and she did speak very well, as did a number of other students as well. Mm. So, yeah, quite inspiring to be there, that's for sure. And before that, we heard the song um, Rai Kuda, um, No Banker Left Behind, and that was from his album, Pull Up Some Dust and Sit Down. <laughs> what, what a great song. Both songs were pretty fabulous. Okay, and now we have on the line Dennis Muller, and uh, Dr. Dennis Muller is a research fellow from the Centre for Advancing Journalism at the University of Melbourne, and he's a leading expert on media ethics. He's also published a paper in The Conversation entitled Ida Butrose's Appointment as the new ABC Chair, a promising step in the right direction. So we're just going to hear from Dennis about why that is a promising step in the right direction. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning, Judith. Um, So, Dennis, first of all, thank you for coming on this morning and getting up early to join us. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm curious about why you feel that um, this is a, a step in the right direction, the appointment of Ida Butt-Rose? Well, I think the first reason is that she does have experience in the media at a very high level, 
which is a good deal more than you can say <laughs> for uh, the previous chair. And the second thing is that she's operated at a very high level in two pretty brutal media cultures, the PACA culture, Australian Consolidated Press, who published Women's Weekly and the Daily Telegraph, and uh, sorry, used to publish the Daily Telegraph, and the Murdoch organisation. She became, uh, not only was she the founding editor of a, a rather revolutionary women's magazine called Clio, but she then became editor of the Women's Weekly, which is by far the biggest magazine in the country. And then, after that, Murdoch poached her away from Packer and appointed her editor-in-chief of the Daily and Sunday Telegraphs and eventually appointed her to the board of News Limited in Australia. So if you've operated with those roosters, you're tough. And you're not likely to be easily intimidated by prime ministers or anybody else. And I think that's a, a huge plus for the ABC. Well, and, uh, and she's, she's shown her strength, hasn't she, in, in those really quite difficult worlds? Absolutely. Um, she's, I mean, she was portrayed, of course, in, uh, in that television drama about, about the Packers. And, and she was portrayed as this, talented, tough, but also very human, very decent, very approachable person. Uh, and it was, I thought, interesting at the press conference, or at the media conference where her appointment was announced. She was asked by one of the journalists there, what would you do if you got a telephone call from the Prime Minister of complaint? And she just said, I'd listen. And that's what you want to hear from an editor. You don't want to hear from an editor uh, or a managing director that, uh, you know, that I would, not only would I listen, but I would act. She just stopped at saying, I'd listen. You know, that, just, that just makes so much sense. It does. Yeah. And it doesn't mean she's going to do anything. Yeah. And, and good editors don't. And that's the other, uh, that brings me to the second, I think, big plus, that um, if you're going to have a managing director, uh, sorry, if you're going to have a, a, a managing director of the ABC who is also meant to be editor-in-chief, um, then as matters stand, the, the result of that has been very weak editorial leadership at the ABC. Now, I would hope that Ita, with her background, might move towards separating those two roles of managing director and, uh, and editor-in-chief because, for a start, they're two very big jobs, and you can't sort of do one part-time. And the other thing is, managing directors exist to protect editors-in-chiefs from boards. Yes, and that makes sense. You're meant to be independent of your own organisation as much as anything else. And and you can't be if you're also the managing director. So I would hope that Ida would see the wisdom of separating those two roles out. Yes, and uh, you know, just just a moment ago, you talked about uh, Ita's fairness, a sense of fairness and decency. And um, in your article, you do mention the role she played during the HIV/AIDS epidemic in the 1980s. And I'm just quoting you here: uh, she repudiated the untruthful and prejudicial drivel. Prom- and this is, now that's the end of the quote promulgated by some sections of the media. Yes. Well, they, there was a great deal of moral panic. People who weren't around in 1983 when the AIDS epidemic hit Australia 
won't know this, but there was a tremendous amount of moral panic. Bible bashers of every description uh, were coming out and saying this is the wrath of God uh, being visited upon homosexuals, people who, who have sex outside marriage, and so on. And a lot of the elements of the media, of course, took, took up this, didn't necessarily endorse it, but used it to make headlines. And uh, there was then a, a, a genuine concern because there was some contamination uh, at the blood bank and there was great concern about the safety of blood transfusions and concern also uh, by people who might donate blood. So it was really a very big public health issue. Now, yes. ITAR, mm -hmm. in contrast to some of these other elements in the media, took the responsible course of educating her readers in the realities about, about AIDS. And once the blood bank problems had been fixed up, she and a guy called Dr. David Pennington, who was the head of the National AIDS Task Force, set about this huge public education campaign, and Ida played a very significant role in that. So she has runs on the board when it comes to social responsibility. Yes, and, and th Dennis, thank you for reminding us of that time because it was a, a very difficult time, a painful time, particularly for people well, both in the well, gay it was, community. It was, and yeah. it was, it provided, I mean, it, as if any such uh, impetus was needed, it provided even more grounds for prejudice against homosexual people. Yes. In particular, homosexual men. Yes. And that was, uh, that was something that, um, uh, that society did not need then or any other time. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking of, you know, Ida now as the chair. Uh, I think the important, there's an important relationship there between the chair and the board. I'm wondering what kind of board does she have to work with? Well, at the moment, of course, a, a very seriously weakened board because uh, the board, the current board, are all of them to some degree complicit in the, in the failure to protect the ABC's integrity and independence from the pressures brought to bear through the former chair, Justin Milne, who was basically the Prime Minister's placeman. Uh, now, the board all appeared last week at a, um, at a Senate inquiry and were asked about this. And the general answer was, oh, well, kind of, we didn't know. Well, it's your business to know if you're on the board. Absolutely. And I mean, I think know, that's... your business to act. So I think that's I unbelievable. Think, that's unbelievable well, that you say that. Um, what were they doing? So, uh, you know, I think that the, the credibility of the board is, is basically shredded. But uh, Ida being the sort of person she is, uh, I would imagine she will try to... She said she wants to try and bring some stability to the board and senior management. So... I don't think we're likely to see a wholesale clean-out of the board. I think what will happen is that um, she might encourage uh, some early retirements over time, but, uh, but I think that what she will try to do is rebuild the board's confidence, um, rebuild some, uh, some sense of their responsibilities, but over time I, I'm sure she will want to see that board completely renewed. Yes, and as a result of the Senate inquiry, do you think those people who are currently sitting on the board might have felt some embarrassment about their lack of knowledge? Well, if they did, they didn't show it, but 
Uh, I suspect they probably did. I mean, they're all fundamentally intelligent and, and decent people, but they found themselves hopelessly out of their depth and um, are really ill-equipped, it seems, by temperament to, um, to do the job. So I suspect now it's been brought home for them the extent of their failings. They probably are feeling pretty abashed, and perhaps one or two of them might decide to go anyhow. Yes, but it or, was or certainly, um, you know, a, a, a corporate failing of a sensational kind, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and presumably they're, they're paid or they receive some sort of stipend for their work on the board? Yes, they receive a stipend, but I mean, it's not, it's, it's not yeah. a, a huge amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I doubt that any of them is there for the money. Right. They're there, I think, out of a sense of public service. Yes. And that will be a further factor in their thinking, I, I, I'm sure, about yes. whether they should continue. Yeah. So uh, you've talked about um, Ida, you know, wanting to bring stability or her saying she wants to bring stability. And you've also mentioned uh, the next step in healing. I mean, you, that there's a healing that's necessary. And I guess the next step there is the appointment of, of a new managing director, which you, you've, you've already referred to. Mm. Um, and in another article in the conversation, you've mentioned how important it is for the managing director to back the journalists. Well, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. e- even if the the ideal situation would be that there would be two jobs, editor-in-chief and managing director, but so long as the um, the job is rolled into the one person, then uh, it's terribly important that that person actually gives editorial leadership. And, and what that, that doesn't mean allowing the journalist to do anything. It basically means setting good standards and then backing the journalist. But um, the the current arrangements at the ABC have been such that because there's been weakness at the top, Michelle Guthrie wasn't a journalist and had no appreciation of her role as editor-in-chief at all. And because of that vacuum and weakness at the top, there was weakness all the way down, all the way down through the layers of editorial management uh, to the point where um, in the middle of last year, um, an article the ABC invited me to to write for them about Barnaby Joyce. Uh, they wanted to change because they they said matters are a little delicate with the government at the moment. I refused <laughs> to let the article be changed, and I withdrew it. Dennis, and that, that was a symptom of of, the, of what happens with weak editorial leadership. I mean, I find that incredible. I mean, obviously they invite you to write it because of your background and your expertise. And then they kind of deny that in a way. Yes, well, you see, what I, it was about Barnaby Joyce's decision to take $150,000, reportedly, from Channel 7 to tell the story about himself and his partner, Vicky Campion. Oh, no. Now, Joyce was the Deputy Prime Minister. He shouldn't have been taking money to tell the public what the public were entitled to know for nothing. Yes, indeed. And so I said in this article at the start, that it showed that he was unfit for public office. And that stung the ABC to the point where they didn't want to run it. Well, that's not good enough. No, no, it definitely Uh, isn't. And and just as weak editorial leadership filters down like that, so does strong editorial leadership. So if at each level the, the journalist feels that their boss has their back and will support them if they, if they report accurately and fairly, 
then uh, journalism gets better. If, on the other hand, journalists are fearful that their boss will take vengeance on them because it's offended the prime minister or some other powerful interest, then, of course, the the journalism decision-making gets weak. It's just human nature. Well, it puts the whole question of democracy, uh, you know, puts it up as a question, you know. Are we still in a democratic um, country if the national broadcaster is unable to broadcast uh, uh, on issues that are very important to the governing of the country? Well, absolutely. I mean, you can't have a situation in which um, the media, any branch of the media, but particularly the national broadcaster, which is the most trusted news source in the country by miles, uh, feels intimidated by pressure from the government. I mean, pressure from the government comes every day on everybody. If, if you're in journalism, <clears throat> you get pressure from powerful people 24-7. And if you haven't got the stomach for the job, we'll go and do something else. Indeed. So, but you can't pretend to be doing the job of a journalist if you haven't got the stomach for it. Yes. And so, so the next step now will be um, the appointment of the managing director. And I'm um, wondering, will Ida Butrose have a say in that uh, appointment? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes, she'll have, she'll have a, a, a crucial say in that. Um, we don't know who the candidates are other than the existing acting managing director. Um, so we don't know how strong the field is or the background of any of the other candidates. But uh, it'll be a board, it'll be a, a board appointment. And, um, and Ita, as chair of the board, will ha- have a crucial say in that. Um, I think that appointment is due quite soon. I'm not quite sure of the date, but um, uh, I I imagine they've probably done a a global search and they should have, you would hope, two or three strong candidates. Yes, well, when I I contacted you about the interview, I I thought, my goodness, I wonder if we'll have a story about the new managing director on Monday, but uh, we haven't quite had that yet. No, we haven't, and uh, there's been a lot of media speculation about who it might be um, some of these names strike me as highly improbable one of them is Greg Highwood who has just presided over the death of Fairfax so I can't imagine that his credentials would be very appealing to the ABC but uh, who knows um, yes. it may well be that in, 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 a, in the interest of stability um, what the board decides to do is to confirm the present appointment of the uh, of the acting managing director who after all um, is uh, is someone who knows the ABC well from an administrative point of view but once again is no journalist and uh, so you'd have a situation in which the editor-in-chief once again would have no journalistic experience so it would even strengthen the case to separate those two functions Yes. Well, Dennis, I have a feeling with this decision, you know, probably due in the next few weeks, that I'll be uh, sending you an email again fairly soon to <laughs> to comment. I really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you so much uh, for That's coming pleasure, on. It's nice talking with you. You too. Thank you. And that was Roll Smiling here in the studio. That was Jimmy Barnes with, and when he's with Cold Chisel. And the song 1980, it was uh, Ida. And, uh, you know, we trust Ida. She tells us true. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, 
We'll see. We'll see. Um, now, I'm very pleased to, to um, be speaking shortly to, well, in, in seconds, actually, <laughs> to Dr. Joshua Ruse, who's um, Director for the Institute of Religion, Politics and Society at the Australian Catholic University. And he was previously a visiting scholar at the East Asian Legal Studies Program at Harvard Law School. And he was working there on Islamic law in Indonesia. That was from 2014 to 2016. He's a member of the expert advisory panel to the Victorian Department of Premier and Cabinet Institute for Social Cohesion and lots, lots more. Welcome to 3CR to Monday Breakfast, Joshua. Yeah, thank you. Do you prefer to be called Josh or Dr. Josh Bruce? is fine. Do- Josh <laughs> is fine. Okay, <laughs> wonderful. And uh, Josh, I really appreciate you coming on. I expect you've been inundated over the weekend with requests for interviews. I have. Uh, it's uh, it's very much international interest on this part of the world at the moment. Yes, indeed. So I'm wondering um, how you felt when you heard about the attacks last Friday. Look, it was it was sickening. Um, the first thing I did do was attempt to um, immerse myself in what was going on. Uh, it was pretty easy, unfortunately, to find both the video of what had occurred, but also the um, the manifesto. So having viewed the video, which is obviously a pretty horrible thing to have to watch, um, I then read the manifesto as quickly as possible um, in order to sort of ground myself in, in what was going on. So it was pretty clear pretty quickly that um, this was an incident of right-wing extremist terrorism. And, uh, and I've heard this morning people are talking about it as a lone dog attack. Is that how you see it? I, I personally don't. Um, I think it's got that sort of uh, impression... Uh, primarily because this guy wrote as if he was writing for himself. Um, like This manifesto is very much written about his views on the world, and, and it gives that sort of impression of him having done this independently of others. However, we know that he was immersed in an international world of far-right extremist sort of themes and narratives that he travelled extensively throughout Europe. Um, there's a strong chance that to some extent, he's uh, had connections with people overseas who may have known about this or been talking about a similar sort of action. I see. So yeah, his travel may have been, in fact, to link up with other groups of like-minded people. That's possible. And I know that the other security agencies already appear to be exploring those angles. Yeah. So uh, I know, I mean, I hear, again, I guess many of us have been glued to television, reading newspapers, reading various accounts over the weekend. And uh, one of the things I've heard people say that this is not actually, these aren't large numbers of people who hold these views, but because of um, the ability to network internationally, um, they have more impact. But what's your sense? Is Are these groups growing and are their numbers growing? Like are they growing, so the groups growing in number and are the people participating in these groups growing? There's definitely been a strong resurgence over the past half decade. Uh, we've seen that both internationally uh, and locally. Uh, Melbourne, for example, has seen the emergence of a number of groups uh, who are more, who have more of a public uh, presence and are more active in attempting to sort of shape public discourse as well. Right. Uh, that said, social media acts as a force multiplier for these groups. They appear a lot bigger and stronger than they are online, A, through the strength of the vitriol that they're, they're throwing out there, but B, because they, half of these groups, the number of supporters uh, is inflated because they all follow each other. 
Right. So it looks like there are more than there actually are. But you do say you do feel there is an increase. There is absolutely an increase in terms of physical groups of people um, meeting and, and protesting and um, sort of attempting to shape the political space. Uh, they're, they're very active online, and the major sort of concern from where I sit would be the extent to which they're attempting to normalise extremist discourse in mainstream political parties. And, and to what extent um, is that uh, aim supported by the kind of things we're hearing from our politicians here in Australia? Yeah, look, whilst the response to the Christchurch attack has been, you know, pretty roundly, um, you know, a, a good thing, uh, we've seen it from both sides of politics. The, uh, for example, Fraser Anning and, and his response um, was one, one example of where this has been successful. Uh, there's also an increasing um, sort of far-right approach to uh, everything from our migration policies through to um, yeah, the anti-Islamic sentiment and so on that we've seen on the far-right of certain political parties. And, and that, that's concerning because that's exactly what these groups are attempting to achieve. Yeah, well, I think there was a story that they tried to infil- infiltrate the Liberal Party in New South Wales. So I'm a bit vague on that. On yeah, that. that's a good point. That was the um, so to go into a little bit of detail. That was a group called the Proud Boys, um, and they've attempted to infiltrate the um, sorry, not the Proud Boys, the Lad Society, who draw inspiration from the Proud Boys, and they've attempted to infiltrate the National Party. Uh, I think it was the Young Nationals, and, and sort of gain gain traction there. It was pretty quickly picked up on uh, by the NAT to expel them, but it shows the sort of tactics and strategies that they're, they're willing to use to try to get their, their platform out there. Yes, and uh, you've mentioned the, that um, the media response we've had from our, the, our leaders, political leaders, has been... Uh, you know, pseudo, I mean, um, concerned. They've been concerned about what's happened. Um, I've also noticed that in some of the reporting, they're they're blaming social media. It's kind of the first thing that they uh, have blamed. But this deflects attention from their own culpability in promoting, or at least um, not challenging, racist talk here in Australia, like the dog whistles and uh, hiding yeah. behind the notion of free speech to allow hate speech to occur. How significant is this in supporting and emboldening these groups? Yeah, look, um, absolutely, the, the politicians uh, have been prepared to, to use race and, and religion and, and sort of stoke fear uh, over over the last two decades, but it's really a feature of Australian history. Um, you know, we had the White Australia policy until 1972. Indeed, we did, uh, yes. So, you know, this, this has been an ongoing concern, and what, if anything, positive at all could come out of this, it might be to encourage people to reframe the debates Yes. And to consider the impact on people, um, you know, Australia's Muslim communities, Australia's Jewish communities, Indigenous communities have been on the receiving end of this stuff for, for you know, in, in generations. That's right, yes. And, and to that extent, we probably, as a people, not just as a, as a politician and political class and, and the media, we need to, as a people, sort of reframe that debate and, and really consider the impact. Yes. So what would you be urging governments to do right now to prevent this and to counter this? Well, I think you've got to deal with the immediate uh, threat, so to speak, and, and to that extent, dealing uh, extensively with uh, Fraser Anning and his comments uh, and, and really demonstrating that they're, they're taking that seriously, not just some sort of censure motion, but actually seeking to, um, you know, take 
a greater action. I believe the Greens are pushing something to that extent. Yes. Um, but I think um, dealing with the immediate threat, but then talking more broadly about how we can actually engage communities and, and work across the board to address the racism problem that we have in this country. And if we, if we can start to get some goodwill and traction from political leaders at a bipartisan level, I think, you know, that could be a really positive response. It could, definitely. And, and I'm wondering what we can do as individuals. I mean, I think, you know, everyone is hurting from this, except possibly a few people that support the, um, the kind of ideology of, of the person yeah. who perpetrated it. But I think we all hurt. We're all hurting. I saw the faces of people at the um, mosque yesterday, the Omar bin al-Khattab mosque in Preston. I could see the faces of people in the streets. We all hurt from this. What can we do as individuals? Yeah, it's a, it's a really great question. I think the natural response is to grieve. And then, you know, I, I was immediately angry um, viewing this footage as well. And I think there, there will be a whole range of emotional responses that are yet to come out. I mean, it's early days. And as more information comes out, you know, we can expect to see blame game occurring. We can expect to see, um, you know, people sort of um, getting angry at each other and potentially, you know, revenge attack. Yeah, it's going to get ugly. I, I don't, oh, it may well get worse before it gets better. Oh, I see. Um, but to that extent, I think as an individual... You know, we, we can pay attention to our surroundings. We can pay attention to what's going on around us and call out what we see. If we see negative um, political statements, then we can respond to them. You know, that's the power of online and, and social media. If we see attacks in the street, we've got, we're empowered to respond to those. And I think we've just got to be, control what we can, which is the uh, individual world around us, and, and, and really hone in on if we see a form of discrimination, then we need to address it. Yes, well, uh, thank you. I mean, tonight there's a vigil, a vigil on the steps of the State Library at, at 6.30, and that was, that's organized by the Islamic Council of Victoria. So if people are wanting to show their solidarity, there's an opportunity tonight. Certainly people were showing solidarity yesterday, and it was great to see, you know, people with their children going to the mosque, talking to people, and, of course, the hospitality at the mosque was, as you would expect, amazing, warm, encouraging, all of those things. So, you know, getting out, talking to people, challenging this kind of prejudice when we see it, that's, that's great advice, Josh, and um, really appreciate it. So, uh, thank, you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on this morning, getting up early. I understand you had young children yet to get off to school um, and uh, had a busy morning already, a busy weekend. Thank you so much for coming on to 3CR this morning. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you. And that was um, Josh Roos, director of the Institute for Religion, Politics and, the and Society at the Australian Catholic University. Coming up next, we're going to have women on the line, so stay tuned for that. And uh, really just want to thank uh, all the people that we spoke to this morning. I might start with the students <laughs> who made their views felt so strongly last uh, Friday Big thanks to, mm. uh, uh, to, to Josh Ruth for yes. his thoughts on the, the events of last Friday. Um, also to Dennis Muller um, on the, the new chair of the ABC. 
and uh, Ida Butrose and, and what we might expect uh, both from Ida and in the future. And um, yeah, it's been... Um, yeah, it's been a really interesting show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thanks for coming in, Julie. It's been <laughs> great, great to have you here. <laughs> Smiling face. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, been, been good. So um, thank you all. Check out the website for um, the, the podcast of the Monday Breakfast Show. And we'll see you next Monday. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377.